You're listening to the Sci-Fi London podcast. I'm Alex Fitch, and this is the first of two episodes looking at some of the other actors who have played Doctor Who in recent years as fans of the show have tried to create earlier eras of the programme but no longer have the likes of William Hartnell, Patrick Troughton or John Pertwee to play the role, so these parts have been recast with new actors. I'll be talking to David Troughton, who's taken on his father's part, the second Doctor, originally played by Patrick Troughton, in radio plays and readings of Doctor Who novelizations, and to John Colshaw, who for many people is synonymous with doing impressions of Tom Baker's fourth Doctor in Dead Ringers, but has gone on to play the part in an actual Doctor Who radio play, and has most recently read out an entire fourth Doctor novelization. Although it may seem like sacrilege to recast the Doctor, when the programme has a built-in way of replacing the lead actor every few years, with a different interpretation. The idea of different actors playing the same incarnation is nothing new. In the 1960s, William Hartnell's serials, The Dalek Invasion of Earth and The Daleks, were remade as movies with Peter Cushing. And then in 1983, within the actual TV show, Richard Herndall took on the role of William Hartnell's Doctor in the 20th anniversary special The Five Doctors. In recent years, William Russell, Peter Purves, Jeffrey Belden and now John Guylaw have taken on the role of the first Doctor as well. David Troughton is an actor who's been associated with Doctor Who for many years. He appeared alongside his father in such serials as The Enemy of the World in the 1960s and then opposite the third Doctor, John Pertwee, appeared in The Curse of Peladon as King Peladon, a role that he has reprised in the audio novelization of that TV series and the audio-based sequel, The Prisoner of Peladon, where he not only reprises his role from 1972, but also to facilitate the small cast, takes on the role of John Pertwee's Doctor as well. Troughton is an actor in recent years who has perhaps become known for taking on roles made famous by other people, as over the last couple of years, he's also replaced Colin Skip as the much-loved character Tony Archer in the long-running Radio 4 soap. However, as David also sounds not unlike his father Patrick, he took on the role of the second Doctor in a pair of audio plays, episodes 4 and 5 of Serpent Crest, starring alongside the actual Tom Baker. To give you a flavour of that serial, here's a clip where the Urzat's second Doctor faces off against the actual fourth Doctor, against the background of an alien invasion of Earth. No, what's he done? He? Are you saying this is the Doctor's work? Precisely, Mike. Between them, he and the Skistari have set up a huge force field around Hexford. Those vertical lines are like magnetic anchors, each one hooked to one of his biomesh trees. To do what? Who knows? But for the time being, our movements are confined. Nobody gets in, nobody gets out. We're trapped. Ha-ha! Isn't it pretty? Can you see how wonderful it all is, my dear? But... What's happened? Planting that last tree just now, it's as if you set the air on fire. Please, tell me, why are you doing this? Oh, I'm not doing anything bad, my dear. In fact, I'm putting things to rights. Yes, that's what I'm doing. We won't come to any harm, will we, Doctor? Of course not. I'm very fond of human beings. But you must understand what's at stake here, something very precious. 
You've put the whole village inside a bubble. In order that I may shield it. Hexford is wrapped inside a protective force field. Nobody can get in and nobody can get out. And you've done this with these trees of yours? Yes. Um, I'm talking to David Troughton, and we're at the Day of the Doctor Who convention in Slough. You're an actor who's been associated with Doctor Who almost from the start, uh, not only because your father played the second Doctor, but because you yourself have also had parts in the show. I mean, was that something that your dad encouraged, or having seen him in the show, were you kind of like saying, could you get me a part? (laughs) No, not at all. Um, My first role was when, in the school holidays... Um, I played an, uh, a supporting artist, they call him now. Um, and then I did the War Games and also another part in when he played two people. The, the two the videos... The yes. Yeah. The Enemies of the World, the, the videos have been recently found. Ah. And there I am, huh. looking very young. Um, yeah, I'm one of 29 actors, I think, who span the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s and the noughties mm. yeah so but I mean he was an actor that was a part for him mm. he did it for three years and then went on to mm. other things so I think it's in the genes you know mm. acting so that's why I went into it but it's interesting that you came back as well that you played King Peladon in The Curse of Peladon in the 1970s so did you still have an itch to return to the show yourself as an actor? No, that was very early on in my career so it was great to get a (laughs) great to get a part like that Um, Lenny Mayne the director and John Pertwee was lovely so yeah, it was really good really good part I mean, it's interesting that uh, I've just been talking to John Gila and uh, Tim Treller, who have been cast as kind of the first Doctor and the third Doctor in audio because yeah. the actors are no longer with us. And actually, you've played uh, the second Doctor yourself after a fashion in uh, a Radio 4 serial. How did that come about? Well, um, that was with Tom Baker, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. Uh, well, I didn't actually play the real... We'll spoil it. <laughs> I'll um, that but anyway, yes. Um, I had read some audiobooks yeah. um, of my father's stories mm. um, and had to sort of, not imitate him, but try and be like him mm. um, in the dialogue in the book. So, yes, that's how it came about. As Zoe opened her mouth to reply... The doctor bustled in, pulling a battered old frock coat over a shabby white shirt. Well, I'm glad I arrived in time to hear you two remark on the utterly obvious, he said rather grumpily as he hurried to the console. He was a small man with a mop of black hair cut to a fringe and somewhat ragged sideburns. He wore a grubby red cravat, clumsily tied, and loud checked trousers. The doctor might have been in his late forties had he been human. His rather lined face showed only impatience now, but it was capable, Zoe knew, of looks of deep wisdom, as well as childlike smiles of delight. All right, all right, the doctor said. If you both stop your chittering and give me a moment to think, I might have a chance to work out what's going on. Um, They were very tentative in asking me, actually. Mm. I found it a great honour. Without spoiling the plot, uh, there is a get-out clause in the plot for you not sounding exactly like your father. <laughs> but how, how did you find that experience of, you know, kind of recreating his voice to a certain extent? I mean, it depends on the writing as well, and the writing's very good. Um, 
I tried to get his rhythms and his cadence and his twinkle in his eye, which he always had when he played the Doctor. Mm. And that can come out in the voice as well. Mm. And I guess as well you had that thing that the fans love to a certain extent, which is when you have more than one Doctor in a serial, where it's two Doctors sparring against each other, so you got to spar and trade barbs uh, with Tom Baker. Was that fun to do? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's a funny setup in a studio, you know, with... Mm tables and microphones um, but that's the great thing about radio you you create the the drama um, out of a room which is brilliant mm. and I suppose it was a different experience from when you did the big finish play um, The Prisoner of Peladon because in that uh, you also voiced the third Doctor but unlike Serpent Crest where you're kind of expected to be doing your father's voice yeah. in this it was more of an inflection because you were narrating uh, King Peladon's memories of meeting That's the right. third doctor. Yeah, it was always <laughs> once removed. Mm. So I was the older king. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I mean, every part is a part, isn't it? Mm. And you try and make it as interesting and believable yeah. as possible. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I suppose at least with that, because you were also playing aliens, when you're sort of recreating, say, Alpha Centauri's voice, you can go the whole hog and do a slightly bizarre alien voice, but you were a bit more tentative, perhaps, in doing John Pertwee's voice. Um, not really. I mean, Alpha Centauri gave me a sore throat when I, did it, <laughs> when I read it, because, of course, Alpha Centauri is done um, uh, with sound, and yeah. they muck around with the sound, but um, I had to imitate what I heard as Alpha Centauri, so... Uh, um, yeah, it was just... It's, it's not odd. It's, it's just nice being part of all this setup because, you know, it's history, isn't it, mm. Doctor Who? Yeah. It's lasted a long, long time. <laughs> well, and, and as you said, you're an actor who has played in the show in various decades, including um, you appeared in a David Tennant episode, which was a really kind of... Um, must have been an interesting uh, episode to do as an actor because it was very much kind of a locked room murder mystery and so it was far more intense perhaps um, than some other episodes of Doctor Who. I always think, you know, I I like the wobbling sets of the old (laughs) Doctor Who because they were simple and the stories were the thing. Now, there's a lot of CGI and special effects and that's fine but it doesn't leave much to the imagination because there it is on the screen before you but... That's what I loved about uh, Midnight. Um, you never saw the monster. It was just imagined. You, the, the watcher, it was all in your imagination as to what was happening outside that spaceship, mm. which makes it more frightening. Mm. You've done television, you've done radio, you've done the stage. Is there any media that you prefer more than any other, or do they have their own kind of merit? Um, they all have their own. As you get older, <laughs> yes. As you get older, as you get older, yes. You want to do less for more, uh, but it never works out like that. Um, of course, when you go into a theatre, it's a commitment, and um, you know, I think you really have to like the play and the part and everything because it does take a lot of your life up. Um, whereas filming is more sporadic and uh, you film in the day and then you've got the evenings to yourself but as long as I'm working really and earning enough money to keep myself alive really that's the aim of the game isn't it and it's um, it's good to have such varied possibilities mm, yeah. 
I mean, it's interesting that you also supported Doctor Who in kind of the lean years, as it were, while the programme was off television, because you were in a series of video dramas uh, with Colin Baker called The Stranger, which started off as kind of a copy of Doctor Who and then turned into this weird sort of terrorist time travel narrative. That was weird, yes. (laughs) And the director, I won't name his name, still owes me a lot of money for that. Uh, no, that was really weird. Um, I, I was never sure how he got the license to do it, and, mm. you know, to use so like a Doctor Who story. Yeah. Um, no, they were on video, the old videos, I remember. Yeah. But I think they remained it on a shelf somewhere. Uh, <laughs> no, they, they've been re-released on DVD. Oh, oh very good. Yeah, well, <laughs> if they uh, bill bags, could I have the money? Yes. <laughs> But was that out of some kind of sense of there being a Doctor Who community that you wanted to keep your hand in, or was it just another job? It was just another job, and Colin had been my best man. We shared a flat a long time ago, so, yeah, it was nice to team up again as as colleagues rather Mm. than friends, yeah. The, um, the, Horn- the whole Hornet's Nest serial has just been re-released on CD, so I guess a new generation of fans will be able to hear your... Uh, other doctor, as I believe he's he's labelled in the cast. Um, would you be interested in playing the role again if it came absolutely. up? Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. I think it's great to uh, be able to carry on the line, as mm. it were. I think I'm, he'd be quite chuffed. And did you get feedback from fans saying we like your interpretation? No, um, <laughs> I don't look at the internet. I don't okay. tweet. I don't do any of that. So I just hope they liked it mm. anyway. Thank you very much. Anyway, thank you very much. The Doctor Who audio serial, Serpent Crest, in which David Troughton appears as an ersatz second Doctor, inhabiting the role originally taken by his father, Patrick Troughton, opposite the actual fourth Doctor, Tom Baker, are available as individual CDs from BBC Audio, as well as in the box set, The Nest Cottage Chronicles. David also has read out a variety of novelizations of TV programs that his father Patrick appeared in, such as The War Games, The Abominable Snowman, The Cyberman Invasion, and the original novel The Wheel of Ice, all of which are available from BBC Audio and can be bought online at bbcshop.com. My interview with David Troughton was recorded at the Day of the Doctor convention at the Copthorne Hotel in Windsor and is part of an ongoing programme of Doctor Who-related events and conventions organised by Tenth Planet Events. Later in the show, you'll hear my interview with Urzat's first and third Doctors, John Guylaw and Tim Trelaw, who were also recorded at the Day of the Doctor Festival, and you can find out more about these conventions by going to 10thplanetevents.com. Next, here's my interview with someone who's made his living impersonating other people, John Colshaw. And his impersonation of Tom Baker has been one of the highlights of the radio and TV show Dead Ringers over the last couple of decades. In Dead Ringers, Colshaw often had his interpretation of the fourth Doctor ringing up various mundane service providers such as garages and a variety of shops and even interacted not only with Sylvester McCoy leading to the immortal question Tom are you drunk and also the real Tom Baker leading to a very confusing phone call between the two. 
I'll be talking to John about his performances as Tom Baker in Dead Ringers and also his actual performance as the Fourth Doctor in the Big Finish audio play The Kingmaker, where he appears alongside the actual Fifth Doctor, Peter Davison. Colshaw has recently read out the BBC audio adaptation of the novelisation of the classic Fourth Doctor serial The Ark in Space which gives him a number of CDs to hone his fourth Doctor performance alongside his interpretations of other classic Doctor Who characters, Harry Sullivan and Sarah Jane Smith. To give you a flavour of that reading, here's an extract from The Ark in Space. Not much oxygen, remarked the Doctor from the shadows. Still, he added cheerfully, nothing to worry about. Sarah turned to Harry. So, suffocation is nothing to worry about she whispered sarcastically. Oh, we can survive for quite a time yet, boomed the doctor. Suddenly, right beside them, he was concentrating on spinning a yo-yo effortlessly up and down its string in the torchlight. Harry decided it was time to speak up. Well, I've got quite a few patients to see at four o'clock. He tried to affect a casual air. So if you don't mind, doctor, I'd like to be getting... A simple gravity reading, Harry, grinned the doctor, putting away the yo-yo. It would appear that we are inside some kind of artificial satellite. Now, isn't that fascinating? Doctor, it's dark, it's cold, and it's getting very airless. Sarah protested loudly, but the doctor had left them again and was busily examining a section of wall panelling away on the far side of the chamber. He seemed quite oblivious of their discomfort. Suddenly, they were bathed in a harsh, unwelcoming white light. There we are, cried the doctor, turning away from the control panel and surveying the scene with childlike delight taking in every detail of their surroundings. He seized the ends of his long scarf and spun them like propellers. Fascinating, he murmured. Fascinating. Before we talk about your contributions to Big Finish plays and uh, BBC audio readings, um, you've actually been playing the fourth Doctor, sort of, um, on and off since the start of Dead Ringers. Um was that something that was always the intention when uh, the show was launched, or was it something that you pitched to the makers? Um, it was something that emerged. Okay. Um, it was just an idea of, of, of taking the the Tom Baker voice, which, you know, when you sort of um, play it along, you know, a, a comedic line, you, you can create such beautiful madness with it. And... The whole sense of that it was just something that we tried one day, calling direct inquiries of the Tom Baker doctor <laughs> and juxtaposing that wonderful, you know, uh, larger-than-life sense um, when you just call in direct inquiries or rail inquiries, <laughs> just like that, and, uh, you know, side by side. And it was just an idea that, that struck and it just sort of caught on. I think on Radio 4 as well, it's, there was something about that 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 suited Radio 4, um, you know, the whole presence of the Tom Baker voice and so on. Mm. Um, it just seemed to chime at the time. Okay. And presumably uh, you were always a Whovian anyway. It wasn't just that you oh, realised yeah. you could do a Baker voice. Always, always, always have been, as, uh, for as long as I can remember. Um, my first memories uh, was watching um, uh, John Pertwee, who, who I just think is utterly amazing. Um, he was my doctor, my first doctor, mm. and um, I, try, I think the first memory I have 
was the Demons, watching the Demons in 1971. And I, I just thought John Pertry was just so magical, um, you know, commanding and, and just superb. Mm. Whenever the threats appeared, he knew exactly what to do. He had this way of instinctively, he knew precisely what to do at that moment. And he was very protective of those around him, um, which made him compelling to watch. Mm. I have to admit that as a, a callow youth, when I listened uh, to Dead Ringers back in the day, I didn't get a lot of the political references, but I always tuned in because I really enjoyed your performance as Tom Baker. Oh, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> the political things, I, you know, I think we um, <laughs> we tried to make those nice and simple as well. Um, you know, just play with characters rather than getting too bogged down in ins and outs of issues. You know, you can, you can, you can paint those pictures. Um, with with the characters, but yes, um, the the doctor phone calls um, were a lovely punctuation mark mm. um, in those Dead Ringers episodes. And a couple of times, you actually used that opportunity to phone uh, not only Sylvester McCoy but Tom Baker himself, which both uh, <laughs> resulted in very memorable conversations. Yes, I mean, you know, both Sylvester and um, and and Tom later. You know, the, the, the wit and the sparky you know, sense of humour was just so uh, superb and that very unexpected. Um, I suppose the beauty of, uh, of funding Sylvester as Tom Baker, um, you know, one could be sort of outrageous as one wishes because that sort of, it's not that unlikely that Tom Baker would speak in this fashion. So uh, I think Sylvester thought that, um, you know, perhaps he wanted out the pub and uh, was just making an opportune call. <laughs> Indeed. And um, I think when we got Tom Baker's number, um, you know, a wonderful sort of doctor-to-doctor doctor type moment, and I think at that time, you know, uh, Tom Baker knew that, you know, phone calls were happening on Dead Ringers. I think, he, you know, he'd heard them. So when, um, when at the other end of the line was, yes, are you known as the actor Tom Baker? I am the doctor. You would have been able to key into that, and, um, <laughs> but have a nice little, uh, a nice little game of football. <laughs> so that was that was tre- tremendous. Indeed, I think he was just walking through Soho in between voiceovers. He just answered the mobile phone, uh, so we were lucky to get him. Yes. <laughs> and then um, your first uh, legitimate, for want of a better word, uh, performance as Doctor Who was in an audio play called The Kingmaker, which was written by one of your Dead Ringer collaborators, Nev Fountain. Yes, that's right. Uh, Nev writes, uh, along with Tom Jameson, um, writes a a big chunk of of Dead Ringers, always has and still does now. And uh, very often we we will have our our Doctor Who chats. And um, and, and yes, that that was my first... uh, big finish um must have been about 10 years ago now that. yeah but uh, he does write a thumpingly good story does nev um you know he can put a good story together and, and sprinkle it with just the right amount of well-judged wit um <laughs> so yes that was very enjoyable to do i have a copy of it on my shelf excellent and i think it was actually the first time uh big finish had allowed anyone other than the original actors to play a doctor and it was kind of explained away in the script that because peter davison was listening to you on a dictaphone there's a line yeah. about people don't always sound exactly how you expect when you listen to a recording mm-hmm. yes 
yes, and it was quite nice that this recording had been made in the past. Mm. And so um, Peter's incarnation of the Doctor listening to a recording from the past, which was rather, rather a nice touch, I thought, rather an intriguing juxtaposition. Mm. And it seemed apt as well because it's a play that's all about uh, doppelgangers and fakes, whether it's Richard III or the princes in the tower or the person who turns out to be the villain of the piece, which I won't spoil for anyone who hasn't listened to it. Uh, oh, yes, yes. <laughs> yes, there were those, uh, those parallels there which um, just made it all sort of feed together rather beautifully. Mm. Did you get to um, play against uh, Peter in the studio or was your part recorded separately? Yes, it was just uh, it was recorded uh, separately. Um, although I did get to uh, record opposite Peter and Colin mm. and Sylvester in um, the Five-ish Doctors ah. uh, reboot um, <laughs> in back in 2013 uh, when they had that wonderful idea to um, to have that story brilliantly written by uh, by Peter. He, he made that so so funny and. Um, they needed the the Tom Baker answer phone message, oh. so I, I recorded that op, uh, opposite them. <laughs> Brilliant, um, and you know, directed by Peter. So I was able to. Uh, I wasn't able to uh, work uh, with Peter on the Kingmaker at the same time, mm. but we made up for it in the Fiveish Doctors. Yes. Then we got to. Then we got to play. Mm. <laughs> and. I suppose your your longest performance uh, as the fourth Doctor is the recent BBC audio book um, of the Ark in Space, and it's it's interesting that it's you reading out uh, the novelisation, um, and so you get to do it in your normal voice as the narrator, and then various takes on the characters, whether it's the fourth bo- Doctor or Harry Sullivan or whoever. Yes, that's that's right. Yes, to uh, to in the characters there, written by Ian Martyr mm. as well. Um, I thought his novelizations were terrific. Mm. He really made them very edgy and really brought out the, the, the drama and a sense of psychological fear that all great Doctor Who stories should have. I think uh, Ian Martyr really captured that in his, in his writing. Mm. And it was amazing to, uh, to read it out, you know, to sit in that uh, space there simply read the book and bring it to life and sort of have all of the characters as if they're sort of passing through your mind, you know, and just to keep leaping about. And it's a story that I remember very, very well. Um, that was the story where I, I always find, you know, a, a regeneration from one doctor to another. Initially, it's always a little bit, uh, it's always a bit rather sad, you know, you, mm. you miss the other doctor and um, and you want things to be the same but then you start to see why the next one ah yes I see I see and you start to appreciate the contrasts and you start to um, enjoy the differences and that, that's, a, that's a wonderful part of the Doctor Who cycle mm. the rehabilitation from one doctor to another your feelings about the program sort of regenerate and, and develop along with the Time Lords themselves <laughs> um, so yes I remember the arcing space that that's where I really started to think ah Well, and the interesting thing, uh, listening to um, the audiobook, is that it comes across as much darker than the original TV serial. Maybe it's kind of, you know, reflecting the idea that before video recorders existed, the only way that you could um, 
re-enjoy an old episode of Doctor Who is through the novelization and then thinking yeah. of kind of the lens of memory as a child watching it you don't actually think of a man wrapped in green bubble wrap you actually think of as Marta describes the were in you know sort of subtuating you know grisly you know wounded creatures yes yeah that's the, the, the beauty you know often radio is described as having theater of the mind and it, it's the same with um novelizations as well um and especially you know the, the arc in space story is brimming with with that um so, so yes you really get a sense of the of the of the trauma and this is very very serious this is this is grotesque mm. and that lovely psychological fear that uh, that comes with it um yes he, he captured that beautifully he really um you know created maximum sort of feeling uh, of max, maximum emotiveness um, with the way he, he wrote that uh, Ian Martyr. And it was wonderful to read it for all those reasons. Mm. Was it um, a gig that you'd been trying to get for a while reading on these Doctor Who audiobooks, or did they approach you? Um, yes, it was It was quite unexpected. It was an approach that, that came in uh, one afternoon, and, well, I didn't hesitate. Oh, yes. Oh, yes, I, I've been looking to... Um, contribute in some way to, to Doctor Who, which was for real, you know, which mm. wasn't just sort of doing a, a comic parody, um, which is a very enjoyable way to, um, you know, contribute to Doctor Who. But uh, yes, I did want to do it for real um, in, in, a, in a genuine thing such as um, an audio book. Uh, I've done Death to the Daleks as well recently, mm. which is uh, coming out at some stage, scheduled. Um, and with the big finish stories as well, I've started to do a few more of those. Mm. So uh, yes, it's uh, it's marvellous to go and join in, you know. Mm. Well, I didn't want to put you on the spot, but obviously people um, are quite familiar with your Tom Baker voice. But as yeah. Death to the Daleks is a John Pertwee adventure, I guess yeah. we'll get to hear your third Doctor. Yes, that's right. Um, you know, once again, John Pertwee's voice wonderfully uh, distinctive and, and contrasting and resonant in a different way to, uh, to Tom Baker's. And um, some of my favorite phrases of, uh, of John Pertwee's come from uh, Death to the Daleks, when he's just, you know, there in the TARDIS, and, uh, the water on Saran is effervescent, the bottles support you. And that wonderful sense of attack um, and that rich resonance that you have in, uh, in John Pertwee's voice. Mm. And also Bell Al, that little that little Exelon, who was like, Please, I will help you if I can. That was a wonderful character, the way he bumbled through. Mm. And the, uh, the John Pertley Dr. Betty are uh, supportive of him. Uh, that's right. He would stand there. Um, something very paternal in those John Pertwee tones. Mm. I mean, other people uh, that I've interviewed for this show... Um, are actors who have been hired by Big Finish and other companies to play the first Doctor, the second Doctor and the third Doctor because the actors are no longer with us. And I guess yeah. that's the thing about Doctor Who, that even, you know, thinking of the regenerations, the show just continues, no matter, you know, that everyone involved with the original version is no longer with us, which, I mean, isn't the case yet, but, you know, it could continue ad infinitum. Well, indeed, I, th I think there's, there's ways of um, there's ways of reflecting the essence of uh, of the early doctors and bringing their character 
to life in a way that, that, that chimes and which is a real sort of nod to them and a nod to how wonderfully they played it and um, the characters they created. And, um, you know, to hear new stories mm. with those familiar doctors is, is a wonderful thing. And people just go along with it and, um, and, and welcome it. It seems to be, uh, there seems to be a warm response to it. Mm. The next uh, Big Finish collection that you're appearing in is called You Are the Doctor, and it's a collection of four one-off episodes with Sylvester McCoy, and I believe you're playing a variety of parts. Yes, that's right. It's, it's quite an interesting method with these, whereby you, you can navigate your way through and choose different tracks to weave your own way through the story. Mm. Um and you, it's, it's a very, uh, it's a very nifty idea. Um, you know, will you choose the right path, and so on. <laughs> um, so yes, uh, I played all sorts of um, sort of alien creatures through that, um, quite comical ones, and also a rather, a rather fearsome, rather un- unsympathetic uh, judge. Uh, who, who gives Ace a particularly uh, unsympathetic time. Mm. Uh, I almost felt guilty doing it. But, um, of course, the character of Ace, she's pretty good at knowing what to do in those situations. So, uh, so yes, it was, it was, it's tremendous. It's, it's a lovely place to be, uh, Big Finish. You do have such a, a terrific day there. Um, it's, it's sort of like... Um, I don't know, it's a very warm and uh, lots of camaraderie type of uh, place to be and a place to spend the day. Mm. And also, I mean, you know, like you said, it's new adventures uh, for the older Doctors. And it's really interesting seeing characters that were first created in the 70s and 80s being written uh, by people who are bringing a modern sensibility to it. Yes, yes, it, it, there is a sense of... Um, it does bring a sort of an everlasting, you know, immortality, into, you know, to uh, to the doctors. Um, it, it's lovely to think that uh, we, we we can enjoy sort of new new stories and uh, along the ways of thinking of today's writing, mm. where we can we can place the three doctors, those who those who united to face Omega. <laughs> Indeed. Cool. Well, we'll look forward to uh, the releases of Death of the Daleks and You Are the Doctor and look forward to you appearing in many more. Um, I'm looking forward to um, uh, performing alongside uh, Nick Briggs as well, the the voice of the Daleks. Mm. Um, I think it's good that, uh, you know, to do the characters through them, but I think it's, it's, it's great that Nick plays the Daleks in these because one that's very cool to <laughs> play alongside that and also it just heightens the sense of the confrontation you know for it to be the Daleks you know as, as we know them today mm. so that's rather a good thing I'm, I'm very much looking forward to uh, to hear how all that is is weaved into the uh, the story of um, of Death to the Daleks I always love John Pertwee's voice when he was in conversation. Uh, I love that video, the Pertwee years, mm. where he's standing outside. I'm here at BBC uh, Special Effects Store. Members of my time and the other Doctor's time in Doctor Who. 
many happy memories indeed. That's well, that lovely, um, resonant, conversational, raconteurish quality comes through, you know. Nothing more alarming than coming home and finding a yeti sitting on your Louis tooting back. All those wonderful phrases that he, he, he came out with. Absolutely. Well, do you have any... Um unrealised ambitions when it comes to Doctor Who yet? Are there any sort of species that you'd like to play? Oh my goodness me, I, I hope um, I hope when I'm about, I don't know, 55 or something to play the actual Doctor. Cool. I'm hoping that uh, I have a lucky career path and end up there. That would be a, that, that's, that's my dream job and has been ever since I was 12 years old. Oh Well, if Stephen Moffat's listening, fingers crossed. <laughs> well, yes, yes. Yes, bless him, I suppose I could sort of, there could be moments of DNA, little prints through of the other doctors, perhaps once in a series, they could sound like their former selves. <laughs> Brilliant. Thanks a lot, John. And forged, no doubt. <laughs> Thank you very much indeed. Oh, it's been my pleasure. Doctor Who and the Ark in Space, read by John Colshaw, reiterating his exquisite impression of Tom Baker, is available now from BBC Audio as a CD and download from bbcshop.com. John will be indulging in his impression of the third Doctor, John Pertwee, in a reading of the novelisation of the TV serial Death to the Daleks, and that will be released in March 2016. But before that, you can also hear his performance as the fourth Doctor in the Big Finish audio play The Kingmaker, alongside the actual fifth Doctor, Peter Davison, and in this month's anthology, You Are the Doctor, in which he plays a variety of roles opposite the seventh Doctor, Sylvester McCoy, and his companion Ace. For more information about The Kingmaker and You Are the Doctor, please go to bigfinish.com. For more information about Sci-Fi London, please go to www.sci-fi-london.com and there'll be a new episode of the Sci-Fi London podcast online soon. Thanks for listening.